0: Hey everybody, welcome to Bo Deedle's True Crime Story. Today, we got two very important cases that I worked with one of the fine attorneys there are in the country, in the world, takes international cases, take everything. My friend John Q. Kelly... Been around a long, long time. But before we go into the case, we're going to talk about two cases there. One is the O.J. Simpson civil case that John took on and actually took his Heisman Trophy and took it away from O.J. And then we're going to talk about that young, beautiful young gal, Natalie Holloway, the young girl who went on a spring break to Aruba and never came home. But first, got to talk a little bit about a friend of mine for a long time And a friend of John's and John handled the case, I think it was 1985, John?
1: It was a while ago,
0: yeah. Okay, so it's the famous New York Yankee, Joe Pepitone. So Joe Pepitone was one of the most famous Yankees there was. He was a team player, and he got into a little trouble. I think it was 1985, and then John called me up on this one. And let's let's talk a little bit about that first. And my deepest sympathy goes out to Joe Pepitone, Vinnie Pepitone, and the Pepitone family, a true New Yorker, a true American, and a true Yankee hero, Joe Pepitone. John, why don't you talk Talk about what happened.
1: Well, let's talk about Joe in general first. I mean, the odds of a kid from a blue-collar section of Brooklyn, basically inner city, New York City, becoming, first of all, even a good baseball player, starting out playing stickball. But to climb up and make it to the majors and be a star, all-star first baseman for the New York Yankees, coming from a a tough area in Brooklyn, Joe was just – he was the epitome of New York City. He was colorful. He he spoke his mind. Remember, he had the first hair dryer in the locker room. <laughs> yeah. He, well, but hold on worked.
0: a second. He did wear a Fred. That was what we call a friggin' wig. Come on, John. Stop that crap. No,
1: it that is, wasn't he his, his hair. Yeah, right. out real. Yeah. Right. He started out real. yeah. Uh, the, the one, the one funny thing I don't know if Joe would want me to talk about or not is when <laughs> he got stopped once by the cops and they took him out of the car and. Joe's saying, hey, you know, easy guys, I'm Joe Pepitone, New York Yankees. And the cop's are like, I don't give an F. And the cop told him to get on the trunk of the car, spread eagle, as he got out of the car. Joe tried to put his head up again and talk. And the cop grabbed Joe by the head to push him down again. And the cop was left with Joe's wig in his hand. And Joe standing there <laughs> looking at him. <laughs> well, you know, and, and so... the wig, by the way, so... It was
0: pretty crazy. Yeah, well, let's go answer. Let's go very lightly on what happened. So he got pulled over. Now, you got to remember, Joe grew up with all the wise guys over there in Canarsie, and he had a lot yeah. of friends there. He was very good friends with Tony Saric. I know that. And a lot of guys over there in that area were all Italian wise guys. And so Joe was walking on, on that level of uh, being not involved with them, but being around them. So when he gets locked up, he gets locked up. What were the charges again? I forgot, Johnny.
1: Oh, uh, you had a little bit of... Cocaine in the car about a pound and some guns and some other miscellaneous
0: things
1: that were in the car, not in Joe's possession, in the car he was in, mind you.
0: Okay, so Joe gets locked up for that. I think we were in the 7-5, John, when it happened. We went to the 7-5.
1: I think I thought it was seven three, might be seven. Oh no, no, yeah. maybe
0: maybe it was a yeah. Matter, matter of fact, Curtis said seven three, so maybe Curtis is right for once. So basically, I thought it was the seven five because then Vinny Pepitone was working for me, and then Vinny got involved, and I talked to Vinny yesterday, and he mentioned about Joe going to his daughter's house out in Kansas City. He was there a couple of months when he ended up passing away? But make a long story short, that was an ancillary nothing. You got to take a person's whole life, the whole volume of life. And Joe Pepitone was a great New Yorker, a great Yankee, a great American, and he used to tell me stories about going when they sent them out to Tokyo when he was playing, I think, on the Tokyo Giants. And he would be with all the Japanese gals getting oral sex, and then he was being the dugout, and then he would have to go back out to the, uh, I think, left field or right field, whatever he's playing, and he would put the he would put the cup over his erection. And he said the cup was raising up in center field and right field. And Joe, Joe was one funny guy. And I, I wish we could have a couple of cocktails with him and, and talk about old times. We're going to miss Joe. So let's let's get to why we're here with our true crime stories. Which one do you want to start with, John? Let's talk
1: about the a little bit.
0: Okay, so everybody knows about O.J. Simpson, the one that killed two people, no doubt. blood. There was enough of blood there for a blood bank. There was enough evidence that would take things out. But it was a time. It was a time after the uh, cops they beat Rodney King. So it was a very bad time for cops. No one believed cops. And then my friend Mark Furman, the little liar that he is, and he's a liar. You like him. I don't like when people lie. And they asked him the one specific question. Did you ever use the N-word? Oh, no. And then he got tape recordings falling out of the, out of the closets. And come on, let's let's be real about it. That didn't really turn the case. You could have gotten a video, John, with O.J. stabbing the hell out of his ex-wife, and that poor guy, that poor guy just went over there for a piece of ass, and the next thing is he got caught up like a like a chop meat, and then followed the a blood trail, follow everything, and then he, he puts together this team of really fine lawyers, but the jury. The jury was never ever going to convict O.J. and you know that, uh, John. So let's let's go over a little bit now. You take on the civil case. Go ahead for which family and all that.
1: Oh, but one thing with Mark Furman, yes, I I do like Mark Furman. I think he's a stand-up guy. I think he got caught on a question he wasn't prepped for on the stand, and you know that turned it into a chaotic shit show. After that, but I think he's a real good homicide detective. You
0: know what? I take that back. I think he's a real good detective. You can't, again, you can't judge a person by one mistake. And he made a mistake there. And uh, I could have done done the same mistake. You know, when you're not, when you get hit blindsided, you're asked the question when you understand, duh, you're thinking about what am I going to say? And, you know, I agree with you. He was a real fine detective. But after that, he was with that one slur that they brought up that he said he was like tarnished with that, you know?
1: Yeah, and that was a shame too. So yeah. anyway, like moving forward, it's funny, what is it, 25, 30 years later, after that the Simpson murders, people will still come up to me and ask me if I think he really did it. <laughs> well, you know, when you think about it, just just think of the murder scene. This is going to lead up to something else, but I want to talk about, but just think about this first of all. So he he has a knife with him, Simpson. It's got to be at least a six-inch blade. We know that. He slits Nicole's throat from ear to ear, almost severs her head entirely, and it walks through her blood before he engages in his one-sided knifing of Ron. So, this is Ron,
0: Ron Goldman, who I looked yep. at the autopsy. He had many defensive wounds in his hands trying to stop him, probably saying, well, hey, what, what, what's going on? And I do remember I was a Fox News contributor during the trial, and I remember one thing is, and I don't mean to laugh, but when he cut her throat, it went a quarter of an inch into a spinal cord, the knife. I mean, this guy was a vicious son of a gun, and he had the strength to do that, and he did do that, and there's no denying that he did it. But go ahead, Johnny.
1: Yeah, well, that's, you know, first of all, from your investigations, he would have been covered with blood on the front of him. Simpson would have been. Yeah. He would have had bloody clothes, bloody shoes. no question about that. He loses his left glove at the scene because that was not the hand he had the knife in. So that's a glove that comes off during the struggle. The right glove stays on because of the knife. Mm. And he gets cut on his left hand, on the middle finger. So when he's leaving the murder scene... He tracks through Nicole's blood. He tracks through Ron's blood and then proceeds to leave footprints in the size 12 Bruno Molly's all the way back to the back gate in Nicole's house to get in his car. Meanwhile, he's dripping blood on the left side of the footprints, his blood from the cut on his left middle finger. And
0: on the fence. The blood's on the fence, too, that he went over.
1: Yeah. Well, the, yeah, the gate to get into yeah. Nicole's. We'll get to that afterwards. But then he gets in the car and he's still got his right glove on, so there's a schmear of Nicole and Ron's blood on the council where he has his right glove on still. On the left side of the car, on the inside are just drops of Simpson's own blood from the cut on his left hand he got during the fight. Mm-hmm. And on the carpet of the, the Fort Bronco are very clear outline footprints of Simpson's size twelve Bruno Molly's with a big mixture of Ron and Nicole's blood in the footprint. So he drives home in the Bronco. He's still got his bloody, bloody clothes on. He's still got the knife with him. Still obviously has his shoes on from the footprints.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Parks out front. You remember all this, bow, and there are yep. blood drops leaving, leaving from the Ford Bronco mm-hmm. right from the front gate and up to his front door and in the foyer. Mm-hmm. And everybody gets all caught up on the, you know, Cato and the bang on the the wall and the glove that was found way over to the side of the house in the bushes, nowhere near this blood, these blood drops leaving to the front foyer. And here's what I think happened after that with Simpson. And nobody's ever talked about this at all. Simpson walks inside to the front foyer of his house. He's still dripping blood on his left hand and he's covered with blood on his clothes and shoes. He strips down to his socks, takes all his bloody clothes off, his shoes off. He's got the knife there. He leaves the right glove there. He knows he can't go upstairs or anywhere at the house with the white carpet because of the blood all over him.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: He goes upstairs, and as you remember, there were a pair of black socks found in his room with Nicole and Ron's blood on them. And that was because he didn't think there'd be blood on his black socks, and he left them there. So what Simpson did was... Change upstairs, come back downstairs, collect his clothes, his knife, his shoes, go back out the front door to the side of the house, the far side of the house, mm-hmm. had a fence bordering it, and was running along in the darkness along the side of the house to get through his neighbor's yard when it ran into Cato's air conditioner. He wasn't climbing over any fence. He was running along there, and the air conditioner was about shoulder height, and Simpson ran right into it.
0: That was the thud that uh, that little psychopath heard, right?
1: Yeah, and when it came out, you know, he didn't see anybody. Simpson keeps running and doesn't know he's dropped the right glove there when he, you know, hit the air conditioner. Probably dropped all the clothes and couldn't find the glove and kept going. Mm -hmm. He went along the right side of the house to the end of his property. Then he would make a left cut through his neighbor's backyard, which he always did when he didn't want to be seen, mm-hmm. cut across his court, down their driveway, across the street, and put his clothes, his shoes, and his knife in a trash can on the next street over in a trash can, you know, in a setback place where the cops would never look. Mm-hmm. Simpson was one smart guy. He knew the cops would search his property. He knew they'd search next door to the right where, you know... There were trash cans all along the fence and things, but this is what Simpson did when he wanted to avoid detection. He would go through his neighbor's backyard and through the front yard to the street there. Because a lot of people
0: don't understand. This was O.J. Simpson. Everybody knew where he lived so he would have been, you know, people hanging around there, whatever, to see O.J. So he used to use this back exit to get in and out. Go ahead.
1: Yeah, and once before, last time he had uh, beat Nicole in 89, he had taken out a bunch of his, you know, prescription drugs and jewelry and stuff and put it all in a bag when he fled from the cops and did the same thing. He had stashed his bag of valuables in the trash can across the street from his neighbor's house and sent Al Collins to go pick it up. Now, Cal, did. You,
0: did not, you feel as though Collins was involved with this in some way, right, Johnny?
1: No, I don't. Oh, okay. Seen, did this once before and had Collins pick it up from the trash can. I think this time... The, the knife, the shoes, and the clothes were all gone with the trash pickup at 6 a.m. the next morning, Monday now, morning. Now,
0: back up back up one second. You know, first of all, the Bruno Magli shoes were bought by my friend Al Tomatoes. Remember Al Tomatoes? He, sure. bought, him, he bought him the shoes, those Bruno Magli shoes. He used to play golf with them all the time. So that was one verification. Now, during the original criminal trial, what you just spoke about was all brought up. Am I correct in the criminal trial, John?
1: No, they had it all wrong. You know, Marcia Clark and Darden tried to, you know, put together a scenario where Simpson went over the fence next door to his property and dropped the glove there and blah, blah, blah. So but, how
0: now it's very important, John, because, like I said, yeah. I know you forever. How obviously you brought this all up during the during a civil trial, which the proponents of evidence is nothing like criminal. Am I correct? Correct. Now For when me. you did the the civil trial, you presented this case the way you just presented
1: to me, right? Correct. I actually I deposed Collins. I brought him in, put him on the stand as a hostile witness, and he admitted to both seeing Simpson pull Nicole's hair and hit her and to also fetching Simpson's belongings from a trash can across the street from his neighbor's house.
0: Okay, let, let eight, yeah, John, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but listen, we're yeah. going to stay with the O.J. Simpson thing. We'll do Holloway another time because this is okay. so damn interesting. Let's pick up from what happened then because you were telling this story, and I'm sorry to interrupt you because it's so interesting what you're saying. So now, why don't you take up from where we left off,
1: okay? Okay, so, he, so Simpson Puts the stuff in the trash can across the street, knowing that no one will check there for at least a couple of days. I'm sure. And, bro, you know as a investigator, also the first thing someone does with the murder weapon after they commit a murder is want to get rid of it. Yeah, agreed. Yes. Okay. All this shit about Simpson hiding the knife and stuff in his golf bag, going to Chicago, and the bag. Yeah, the
0: bag bringing the evidence to Chicago that was all bullshit.
1: The first thing he wanted to do was get rid of that stuff because he knew the cops were going to be over there knocking on the door any minute. So after he leaves it in the garbage can across the street, he comes back into his backyard and this time walks around the front part of the house where the pool is and the guest house looks out, and that's when he runs into Cato and Cato tells him about the pounding on the back by his air conditioner and things, and Simpson's like, oh, you know, don't worry about it. But that's why, like, you never saw Simpson concerned about any of this stuff being found the shoes, the clothes, the knife. He knew if it hadn't been found by daybreak the next day, it was never going to be found. And people just don't talk about trying to reconcile the, the drops of blood from the Bronco to the front door. In the,
0: yeah, and there was some blood
1: bolt, bolt And the there side,
0: was one thing. Johnny, there was one thing I yep. remember is what they, the defense was saying about the whenever you're testing blood, you put a mixture of this in there and that, and it, it makes the compound different. I mean, they drew every piece of bullshit thing, uh, the defense, anything they could think about, and they were, the prosecution was truly outgunned as far as with that defense. Do you feel the same way?
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, uh, Marsha Clark was a hard worker but was way too emotionally Invested in the case and everybody saw Darden for what he was, which was, you know, a very poor attempt to have, I hate to use the word token, but to have a black prosecutor going after Simpson thinking it would, you know, and, the jury and in I,
0: one thing I remember, John, one of the big things when I was on a Fox News contributor there and I took one of my golf gloves, just a golf club, and I showed it was it fit me. It was a large and it fit me perfectly. Then I showed when you spread your hand, you, you can't put it on. And that's exactly what the defense attorney. What's his name there? The fella uh, that passed away. uh
1: Lee. Cochran. Cochran. Johnny
0: Cochran did, and I showed it on television. If you want to spread your fingers, the glove ain't going to fit, so you got to quit. I mean, so basically, that was the rhyme and reason for this moronic jury to uh, quit OJ on these murders. So now let's follow him. Now you, we're up to the fact that and dumping stuff. Now getting on the plane to Chicago. Get
1: yeah, I think he probably did. You know, he had that he had a big cut on the middle finger of his left hand which is the hand he lost the glove on. And I think he probably just put, what do they use to fix cuts and fights and things, Vaseline? Yeah. He probably just dabbed some Vaseline on it so it didn't bleed. But going back to the gloves, Bo, for a second, uh, in the civil case, I actually handled all the glove evidence, and I put on the, the, I don't think it was a manufacturer, but the, wholesaler of the gloves to explain the sizing and how they can be manipulated. And as part of his testimony, the judge let me have the guy put the gloves on and manipulate them, meaning they became all uncrinkled, all the dry blood Mm -hmm. was gone. He worked these gloves till they were huge.
0: And then they just
1: expanded. Yeah, good. Yeah. And then when I got Simpson on the stand who was cross-examining him, you know, I just set the gloves on the railing in front of them. That's all that had to be said. You know, he'd never tried them on again now that they had been manipulated. And, <laughs> you know, knew they were going to fit this time, and they just, you know, stronger so why, why don't stuff.
0: we? why don't we bring everybody, because it's part of the case, too. Okay, he goes to Chicago to do a signing thing, I think, John? What was that about?
1: A golf outing.
0: Okay, so now when he comes back, uh, Kardashian meets him at the airport. Am I correct? And then Kardashian grabs his bag or something. What was with that?
1: Yeah, we brought, he brought. He did what you or I or anybody else would do. We'd go on our golf outings. We'd bring our bag back and. He actually just left it there, the airport, to get home quickly, and Kardashian went and picked it up later.
0: So that really had nothing in there, because there was some, uh, there was some speculation that there was items of evidence in that bag, and that's oh, why he couldn't. That's all just serpifuge. Uh, what's that word? Subterfuge? What's the word, Johnny? Come on.
1: I'm not smart, Bo. It's uh, <laughs> a serpifuge. Serpifuge.
0: Serpifuge. Subterfuge. That one too. Okay, You good, Johnny.
1: Yeah, he never—in a million years, that evidence never left Rockingham or, or across the street from it. Simpson never would have taken any evidence with him because that would have been lethal, and he knew it. He had to get rid of it.
0: So now the criminal trial goes, and obviously— uh, like I said, if you had video of him stabbing with that jury that was there, they would never have convicted him. And it, would, it became a racial—I really feel as was a racial case because of him being black and the jurors there, the black jurors and all that. But the thing was, there was enough—I've been a homicide detective for a long time, and John, you've had a lot of murder cases. I think the preponderance of evidence was so— overwhelming. It wasn't even close and there was no, how can you explain these drub, this blood being here all over the place and have a mixture of hers and his and, and all that and, and not be able to utilize that for a conviction. Where do you feel as though the criminal side went for non-conviction?
1: Where, John? It was a racial division. The jury was, I think, it was 11 blacks and one Oriental. You can't say jury. that. You gotta
0: say Asian. Go ahead.
1: I'm sorry. I knew when I was saying that, that I was saying something wrong, by the way, Bill. (laughs) (laughs) The one thing that was different in in the civil case from the criminal is the photos of Simpson in the Bruno Miley shoes that Mm. I found during the, the civil case. I was home during Christmas vacation in the middle of the trial and got a call, went up to Buffalo and lo and behold, right there magazine there, the Buffalo Bills Monthly, was a a full-page picture of Simpson walking across the field. With the Burroughs on. (laughs) And he had already taken the stand on their drug case and swore he never owned a pair of shoes like that, wouldn't wear those ugly-ass shoes in a million years. Uh, and we and also got right. my dear friend Al Tomatoes
0: would testify. Yeah. We should have Al the Tomatoes testify. He bought the damn shoes for OJ. Now we say, that. I've never seen Bruno Maglio, really. <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk about... I, all
1: right, I, I think Al might have had a little credibility issue, but that's <laughs> okay.
0: <laughs> Leave him alone. He's got the best produce places there. AJ Produce, the best in the Northeast. i on, I'm on. I will need a I peach. Know, I know. Okay, I so know. now makes- let's let's talk about when you do. He didn't like you when you did the civil trial. How? Huh? What was his feelings towards you, uh, John?
1: The first time I met him, first of all, was at first day of his deposition. I was walking down the hallway from the conference room into the men's room, and I walk in, and Simpson's here at the sink. And it was the first time I had seen him in person, and he is a big guy. Yeah, he's an intimidating <laughs> guy, big guy. He's yeah. a big guy, and he just he just <laughs> turned right at me, and I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> so, <laughs> no, he just said, hey, John, I'm OJ, listen, I appreciate the... I appreciate you, you
0: trying to take all you. my fucking money, sorry, beep, taking yeah, right. all my money away, go
1: ahead. <laughs> so, it, it, blah, 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 I appreciate you doing it and representing the kids, too, and things like that. So that was fine, and it was sort of a, you know, whatever distance. Yeah,
0: bottom line, you were scared of them, John. Stop the bull crap. You were scared of them.
1: Oh, I get scared so often. You know that. I've got... I've had about four murderers chasing me. You'd have to call <laughs> off for of me. So, yeah.
0: and, and, and our and our trip to uh, Melbourne, Australia that was, that was a good one too, John.
1: We oh, talked about wow. that
0: before. <laughs> but
1: but then stuck with Huron, not knowing he's a you know cold ass killer and things like that. But anyway, with the shoes, you know Simpson already testified about never having those shoes. He put on an expert to say the one photograph from the Acquirer was a uh, fake and things like that. But uh, once the jury saw those photographs, the thirty-two photographs of Simpson and the Bruno Molly shoes, the case was over. That was good. So was
0: now, fun. now they come back with well, what kind of a verdict, John? On this, this is the civil trial that John Q. Kelly took on. For what family were you hired by, John?
1: Uh, not a family. I was hired by Lou Brown as executor of the estate, and I represented the estate of Nicole Brown. Simpson. So that was
0: his uh, kids, uh, her kids.
1: Yeah. Yeah, her kids made up the estate. So Which was his right? kids, too. Yeah, so as representing his kids in a wrongful death murder lawsuit against their father mm-hmm. and to keep everybody cordial in some respects. But the last final note of this whole case, and I think I told you this once before, is after 30 days, we sent the sheriffs to Simpson's house to grab all his belongings, you know, to try to satisfy the,
0: well, what was uh, the settlement? Uh, how much was the settlement for, John? The
1: total verdict was $32.5 million.
0: $32.5 million. And uh, what were you—I mean, how much cash did he have in the banks and in this eight deposit box? What you get?
1: Anything? I, I, well, we never know. But all the money he had up front was, or that we could find was protected. He had his 401ks and— uh,
0: And his retirements, know.
1: Yeah. And he had a house in Florida, you know, which was covered by the Homestead <laughs> Act, and so we couldn't touch any of his real assets except for his personal property. So what'd you get, we, John? What'd you get? From auctioning off that stuff. I think we netted like a million bucks or something. Well, what
0: was the most important thing that you took out of it? Come on, John.
1: Okay, well, let me finish the story. <laughs> okay. When they searched the house and they found all the furniture, got all the furniture and rugs and trophies and everything, the sheriff calls me in New York and- told me that they had not found the Heisman Trophy, which is one thing I was after. And so I called Simpson's attorneys and asked if they would voluntarily turn over the Heisman to me because I represent the kids and rather than have it go to Ron Goldman's estate. And they called Simpson and Simpson told his lawyers to tell me that Kelly has a better chance of winning the Heisman Trophy than me ever giving it to him. Which <laughs> <laughs> I Pretty funny. So I, I had to hand it to <laughs> him. But, uh, so you never got back. it? You never got the Heisman Trophy? Yeah, he eventually turned it over. His, uh, You know, one of his uh, gophers had it hidden somewhere. So hold on a second. Where, Where is
0: the Heisman Trophy now?
1: Some stupid ass paid a quarter million dollars at auction for it and has it locked up somewhere. And it's probably worth about 5000 now.
0: Yeah, and the kids got, the, the estate got that money, right? So...
1: Yeah. So wow. So, I mean, it was really weird. Simpson used to call my home in New York <laughs> on the weekend, and like a couple times, one of my kids would answer it and say, "Dad, phone." I'd say, it? And they'd be like, "It's O.J. Simpson." <laughs>
0: <laughs> but you know, you know, it, like 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 always, John. The way the way you took the case apart for the civil case, I mean. This tremendous, tremendous uh, way of putting together. And we all know when you when you try a case, it's like a puzzle. You put everything you let everybody stay with you. But that was really, really great. And then the other thing is, is just uh, karma comes back at O.J. now. And he gets caught up in this bull crap in Vegas when he's selling memorabilia and some half bullshit robbery thing. And then they, they bang him. They set the book at him. And he gets a sentenced to, what, 12 to 15 years on that crap. Right, I
1: know. I think he served eight or something for you know trying to get his own <laughs> <Poppy> stuff back. <laughs> <laughs> so.
0: Well, that's karma, I think. was. But he did get away with a double murder. So let's 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 be real about that. He killed that beautiful Nicole, and he killed kid. Uh, he killed that poor kid. It was just trying to get a piece of ass there and he got whacked out. It's a terrible story and people forget it. And, oh, OJ, OJ, he's my guy and all that kind of crap. He's a murderer. End of story. Yeah. And that's the bottom line. But you know what, John? A lot of people listen to the story. Now, John Q. Kelly's been in business. How many years you been an attorney, Johnny?
1: Oh, geez. 40 years.
0: 40 years. And we've handled a lot of cases together. You are one mm-hmm. of the best of all the attorneys that I've ever met. And part of it just by you explaining this whole OJ case just shows people who are listening, this is the guy that you want to take a case. And you live and breathe it. And uh, how do they get in touch with you, Johnny, if somebody wants to reach out to you?
1: No, they they find me. You just Google my name. I'm in out of New York City. I'm in Greenwich, Connecticut now. And you just uh, punch in John Q. Kelly and you'll see my lovely face and contact information. Right. And
0: uh, again, but while
1: we're on the air, I just want to thank you too. And let the people know that you've probably saved my life yeah, at least three times in <laughs> different places around the world. So thank you for that.
0: I love you, John. And, 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 and okay. listeners again, truly one of the great attorneys and what we're going to do, John, we'll go and we'll do another show on the Natalie Holloway thing. This was too good. When you started to tell the story, look at, I'm a detective, but listening to you, the way you place it together and piece it together was a true, true thing of art. And people don't understand if that was presented. But then again, I think if it was presented that way with all the evidence, he still would have been acquitted. And I think you agree with that,
1: right, John? Oh, oh, absolutely. No question. You know, nobody could walk away with a conviction in that case against Simpson in that you know, era of the Rodney King and, you know, riots and, you know, burning down the west side of L.A. or whatever it was. So it was yeah. it was tough times out there. So All right. Anyway, all right, Bo. I love John, you. Good listen, you.
0: John Q. Kelly, anybody wants to reach out, you just Google him. One of the greatest attorneys ever, ever, ever. Thank you for your time, and I'd love to have you back when we have you back on the Holloway case that John handled also. And <laughs> there's some funny things in that one. Uh, all I got to say is Chris Como. <laughs> And we'll leave you with that, <laughs> and we'll be back. Maybe we'll, let's do it next week, John, all right? Next week we'll do Holloway?
1: Okay. All it's right, fine. John.
0: Thank you, and you be well. I'm going out east this weekend. If you're out there, I make your breakfast. you like cheese omelet, bacon well done, and ham steak, whenever you want to come out. Oh, all I right. I could be
1: there, Bo. Love Sounds you, man. Bye-bye. Bye.